by Riverside. Welcome back to the Brackside Ground Balls podcast. We're coming to you live on 12 noon. I mean, I know I'm fired up. I feel good. I got a coffee. It's not 8.30 at night. I'm assuming Dan's fired up. We finally got Colin back from Disney. Guys, Colin, how was the weather? How was the trip? It was nice to get away for a little bit, but back of my mind, always stress about being ready for baseball, but... It was nice to relax and get away and uh, spend some money on some some things that were too expensive, but is what it is. <laughs> that's what life's about. We're man. back. Going, in, going into debt and dying with it, you know, that, that's that's pretty much what life is. Dan, how are we feeling on this Sunday? Yeah, exactly. You can't, you can't, yeah, you can't, you can't take it to your grave with you, so you might as well leave your debt with your kids, right? That's what it's all about. <laughs> but, um, you know... I did see something this morning that I did want to talk about before we get into the, I'm very excited about the conversation we're going to have today. It's going to be very in-depth and, and a really good conversation, but I saw something this morning and I think it kind of builds off of what Dan and I talked about earlier this week on the podcast. And it wasn't exactly like mental health and the stuff like that, but very deep situation. I know it's going to be close to Dan's heart, but you see in so many moments in coaching, we think the pinnacle of the sport is to win a national championship is to be the last team standing with the trophy over your head. And at some points you feel invincible in those situations. Kirby smart did not imagine the day after his second straight parade that he was going to wake up with an athlete that had passed away in an, and a recruiting staffer that had passed away in an, car accident at 2.45 in the morning. And the reason I want to bring that up is because so many times in coaching, and we talked about this in the podcast, you know, we talk, we're in the age of, you know, we need to value our athletes as more than just athletes, right? And it just, it just puts in a perspective of how that moment is fleeting, right? Of how vulnerable we are in life and at how any given moment, any whether it be an athlete, whether it be a staffer, whether it be a friend, a family, all of us can learn something from this that we need to appreciate what people bring to us and also remember that the value that people bring as well is not based off of whether it be what they produce on the field, whether what they produce at work or whether they what they've produced in a relationship. And, you know, you look at a situation where obviously Kirby Smart's at the pinnacle of the sport. He's coming off his second national championship. They have the parade, the team's feeling great. And you have to wake up Sunday morning with the realization that like slap in the face, Hey, life is still here, right? Life is still reality. You still have to deal with the realities of the situation of life. And, you know, it's such a tragic situation. It put me into a, you know, just a trance this morning after I read it and just, my heart goes out to the families of everybody with Georgia football, the families of the victims in the accident. And, you know, it just is a perspective that just because sports are what they are, we don't, we think these athletes are invincible, but there's so much more to life than just what happens on the sport field. So Dan, you know, I'll kick it to you first, give you a second to kind of talk. I know I probably caught you off guard with even bringing this up. Yeah. I didn't think we were going to go here today, but like you said, I mean, 
your thoughts are with Devin Willick and Chandler LaCroix's family. I mean, it's crazy. I, my timeline is obviously like a lot of Georgia football, and, and yesterday it was all about the parade and the speeches and celebrating uh, a second consecutive national championship, and then just you know, not even 12 hours later, it just completely flips to all about that. And it's like you said, it's the, the it's crazy. I don't know how you even. I, whether I'm a Georgia fan or not, like when you see something like this, it's just, it's, that's a kid who's on the top of his life. Like he's on the top of the world. Like he's a guy and he was probably going to be a, a full-time starter next year. He was a part-time starter. And regardless of that, like he's in the top of the world, he goes to a, a power five program, plays a sport he loves. And then Chandler LaCroix, she's done, you know, she's a part of that recruiting staff that continues to bring in, you know, top five recruiting classes year in and year out. And so it's just crazy. It sucks. And, it's wild. Um, it's awful. And uh, like you said, as a coach, just to think of losing one of your athletes and fellow staff members, like that's just, it's like hard to wrap your mind around that. Um, it's crazy. It's an awful situation. It's just a reminder that no matter how many wins and losses you have, that you still need to understand that there is value in, in, in these people outside of wins and losses. And I'm not accusing Kirby Smart of being somebody that doesn't see that. I think it's just more of the realization that like you could be at the pinnacle of your sport and wake up the three days, five days after that, the day after uh, the parade and celebrating that accomplishment and still have the reality of life just slap you in the face, no matter how many wins you have, no matter how many national championships you have. But that'll be all we'll, we'll kind of cover on there. We don't need to um, go too deep today. We, we, we have a very interesting and fun conversation, um, I believe. Um, I think when I think of this conversation, I kind of almost imagine it as a professional red shirt, right? So the Cleveland Guardians and one for one Guardians, not Indians. So check that, put that on your bingo card. <laughs> um, the Cleveland Guardians, I heard it on a podcast, Future Projection podcast, very good podcast talking about pro- a lot about prospects and things like that. So they had talked about the Guardians have started to not allow their draft players from the current year to play at all through the course of the year. We've seen this a lot with pitchers, right? Pitchers for the age of time kind of get shut down. They work through a long off season and kind of get ramped back up full go the next spring, but they are not letting really anybody play. All right. So with the draft being pushed back to July, that obviously plays a role in this or to later June, that kind of window, it plays a role in this. But I think there's a bigger picture that we need to kind of see in this move by the Guardians and understand that there is a method to this, right? This is not just taking at-bats away from guys. This is not just, you know, taking innings away from guys. So, you know, Colin, when your first thoughts when you think of this, you know, kind of give your initial reaction. You said you were surprised you didn't know they did that. I didn't know until yesterday, you know, what are your initial thoughts before we get into the nitty gritty of why they might be doing it? I, I, that's what, I had no idea that they were doing that. I never knew that was either ever a thing. Cause when I first got drafted in 2019, there was the short season, which we don't have anymore where the season kind of started like a week before the draft and guys would pretty much get drafted and go straight, just keep playing. But um, my initial reaction is maybe that there's like trying, like we said, like a different type of method where they're getting all these new players. They're taking that, you know, three or three months, two or three months of when they first have them to find out what type of player they are, 
get them like really comfortable with their routines, their lifting programs, throwing programs, like all of their, like all their philosophies and stuff. So maybe that's what they're doing is taking a few months to really let them know, like, here's our team philosophy. This is what we like to do as an organization so that they're not just throwing them into play without giving them at least this background of what type of player they're looking for, like the, like what they believe in. So that's my initial reaction is they're just holding them so that they can, you know, get them all on the same page rather than just throwing them into play and just say, oh, good luck, see what happens. So that's my first thought. Yeah, and, and you brought up a really good point that I didn't really think of in the routines of whether it be the life of a minor league baseball player or even just the guardian's ways, the verbiage they use, how they want to go about their business. That's something that I didn't even think of, but that's a very good point to kind of build off of why they might be doing it. One of the things that I think, and this was when you were going through college, when you even through minor league baseball, is, and when I was in college, Baseball, the way the baseball calendar is built, nobody gets a real off season, right? What what is defined by an off season? For me, it's six weeks of heavy lifting, right? Heavy physical lifting. So maybe when you start to get in that, you know, February to October range, you do get that window, but you got to rest and recover. One of the things that I think this benefits the most is especially for high school athletes. And Dan, this is where I'll kick it to you where, you know, how beneficial can this be to high school athletes to be able to get time in the weight room so that when they step on the field in the spring, they're not behind the eight ball physically. So what, what in your mind, Dan, kind of goes into that thought process of helping these, especially high school athletes, but we also see college athletes. We've been in the college game. We know what that schedule looks like. A lot of baseball in the fall, barely any time off in the winter, full go in the spring, full summer of baseball. So, you know, what do you kind of think in terms of a physical development can help these guys? It's huge. I mean, when you think about a high school kid getting drafted, um, now obviously they're, they're supremely talented or else they wouldn't be getting drafted, and, and that's great, but that's just one aspect of it. I mean, you think about completely skipping a level of life in, at the baseball level of going from, you know, you're skipping the college baseball thing, which is an adjustment in, in and of itself, but now you're going straight to being a professional. And just the, the rigor of that as for an 18-year-old kid, I mean, you're a child, and you still have so much development as a person to learn how to time manage and, and like, okay, this is my job now. Like this isn't a hobby in high school. Like I don't care how good you are. It's still a hobby when you're in high school because you're an amateur by every definition. And I know in college we're getting a little bit, those lines are getting blurred between amateur and not, but in, as a high school kid, you're a complete amateur. So to go to the pros and then not just be thrust into a schedule of, I have to play every day and I have to bring in every day as an 18 year old, it's huge. I think it's great for the development. Like you said, the physical side of things where, okay, now we're going to, if we can put the right things in place and teach you how to have a routine and how to lift and how to be mature, like you're getting an advantage. Cause so what now, they don't play their, the rest of their year 18. And then they first year as a pro they're 19. Yeah. That works just fine. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting to me. Both you guys obviously have spent time on the mound Dan, you've developed guys on the mound and, one of the demographics that we talk about as having the lowest success rate in the draft is high school right-handed specific pitchers, right? And the, and I want both your guys' opinion, but I'm going to kick it back to you, Dan, first here. But is how many kids in high school that are drafted at, a, at that high of a level throw 96, 97, right? 
But how many of those guys' bodies are able to handle that? Do you think, either of you guys, and obviously, like I said, I'm going to kick it to you first, Dan. Do you think this is going to help with the success rate of the demographic of high school pitchers specifically? Because we see so many injuries, we see so much wear and tear, where they can kind of get their body up to speed with what their arm is able to produce. Well, nothing's guaranteed, right? Everyone's case by case, but this is a good start. And why not? If we're seeing an uptick in injuries and we're seeing a a huge gap in, all right, these are guys who are successfully making it to the next level and panning out the way we think, then why not change it, right? This is a start to change it, right? This is a way to change it. I wouldn't hate if they did this with some, you know, like do it with college guys too, where, because there's so much to learn. When you think of a high school right-handed pitcher, like one, yes, the workload is different. I mean, how many games and how many innings are you really throwing as a high school kid and properly recovering and lifting afterwards? I mean, you can probably talk to Colin about this when he was at Middletown High School. Like, right? It's like go out there. A guy had Tommy John as a high schooler because he just Never goes out lifted. there, blows it out, and you know, goes and hangs out with his friends, his girlfriend, and then it's like, oh, I get the ball again on Saturday. So now to like teach kids how to do this. Also, when you think of the intricacies and you listen to Colin talk about, like he's still learning a little bit how to pitch. Imagine being thrown in there as an 18-year-old where like if I'm coming from – a place where I can get by off my 96 and mostly my 96 and 90% of my 96. And now everyone's throwing 96. You have to learn how to pitch. I would say like, I was, all of us like look back at it. Like a lot of us college pitchers, like I couldn't imagine being, I was draft or I graduated high school at 17. I was turned 18, like right in June. So I couldn't imagine showing up to professional baseball as an eight, as what I was as an 18 year old, I look back at it. Like I probably wouldn't be playing anymore if I went straight from high school, straight to professional ball after all the years that I've been through and seen it all. But I think it's just a, such a, it's a huge jump to go straight from high school to pro ball. But I think nowadays, like how high school baseball is almost turning into like that college in a way, like you get guys on these programs now from eighth grade up. Like I didn't, I never had that. Like we never really had that whole program, the whole lifting program, throwing and stuff. Like a lot of these schools are starting to, I feel like get into that stuff more than they used to with me. Like like Dan said, I pitch on Monday, throw a hundred pitches, throw seven innings, not throw for three days, like play catch once one time and then pitch another seven innings on Saturday, never lifted, never did any arm care, just show up and play. So I think getting those guys into that routine of like a five or six day rotation, like throwing each day with bullpens in between, you got your recovery days, you got your high intensity days, you got your arm care, you got your lifting or your conditioning to get them at least starting on that rather than just throwing them in there and saying, good luck. I think it's a good start, but I couldn't imagine just going straight from high school to pro ball and be like, all right, good luck. I, it would have ended poorly. Yeah, of course. And, and you mentioned a really good point that a lot of high school programs are taking it a lot more serious, especially when you talk about like the IMGs, the Florida schools of the world, the Texas schools of the world, and these guys in, you know, from Georgia that have been in a high school weightlifting program from seventh grade on. They're in a public school system. They kind of know that this is their ticket things like that but and this will be something that i'll ask you colin is what's the change right i mean I, I was at the division three level i know there's a big jump like these kids are like oh i lift all the time i have a trainer and stuff like that then they get to college and it's like a completely different program right mm-hmm. 
kind of that thought process is like these guys in high school, while they might be getting training, which is a credit to them, any training, I used to say any training is better than no training, right? 100%. And, and they're getting some form of training, but what is an organization like the guardians? Like, what are they going to offer? That's going to be different. That's going to allow this guy. So what, what does the program look like when they get into pro ball where they're like, they might've been, you know, dumbbell pressing and bicep curling in high school. You know, what, what can the guardians offer? That's going to be different to kind of put them in a better position to be successful. I just think like, uh, like you go from high school season, you're only playing, you may pitch like six, seven games. You're not pitching. You may throw what? 30 innings, 40 innings. Like, I'm not sure. Like that. I feel like that's a good number. That's about right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're preparing for a, basically a a sprint at that point. And when you get the pro ball, you're preparing for a long marathon where you're continuously sprinting pretty much the entire time. So these these programs that like these pro organizations they build their their spread along that eight month season instead of like this month and a half long two month stint. So it takes it takes a lot of time for them to get adjusted to that. You can't just show up and expect to pitch 120 innings your first year. I know. I mean, I went through college. I threw four innings my freshman year. Next inning, next year I threw. I think I was 80. And next next year I was like 90. And then my first pro season 100. Last year I was. This year I was like 140, so you see the progression. But those programs are built around the longevity and durability of the athlete, rather than just here's a you have a six week high school season. Good luck in a way. So that's how I look at it. Of course, and that's such a big thing. Is so, and basically what you're saying is it's not necessarily what's going on in the weight room. It's not necessarily what's going on, you know, dated it like. It's all of it, right? It's encompassing it's of the weight room, the routine, the bullpen days, the band work, the plyo work, all these things that these high school kids might know Just, at a, such a minuscule level, but being able to expand it and put them in a position to do that seven days out of the week, right? Like Dan mentioned, mm-hmm. when you're in high school, you go out, you blow it out for a hundred pitches, you go to Caruso's pizza across the street, you hang out, maybe they roll you back on three days. Yeah, three days rest and get back out there. You're not eating good. You're not lifting right. You're not throwing pens in season. You're not banning and recovering. So, you know, Dan, when I when I think about this as our, you know, our pitching coach, what does that look like, right? Like, let's say hypothetically you're in the position, right? We're going into higher Dan Galati 2024. We're getting the campaign. We're getting shirts going. Um, you're in that position where you're the pitching coordinator who's responsible for these high school guys. What does it look like on the backfields? What are you doing? How many long live at-bats are you getting in? Because remember, these results don't matter. It's more about development. Is that something you're programming in? What's just the developmental side look like in this scenario? Well, I think with with any good organization, right, it comes down to just having a plan and then executing it. And again, like just the thought of, okay, we're going to not let them, we're not going to have them play in their draft year, right? Like you have to go all in on that, right? Don't waver from that. If that's going to be the plan, then let that be the plan. And I think that's what's important because a lot of times, like when you get into stuff like sports specific training and coaching at this level, like there are so many avenues to success, and so as long as you are dedicated and you get, pay attention to the minor details, that's how you can be – that's where you can see start to see some of the success in the development. So if I'm going to say, hey, we're not going to have you guys throwing any any games this year or, or 
even batter's face. I don't know what it would be on the offensive side. You'd probably want to see some sort of live ABs because there's only so much cage work you can do. But as far as a pitcher goes, like what does it look like? Like one, lifting is going to have to be huge. So we're going to have to take into account that, hey, like these guys are going to be getting after it in the weight room. So now we're going to have to teach them how to manage the fatigue and the stress on their bodies that we that we see from the uptick in what they're doing in strength and conditioning. Then we're going to have to teach them again, routine and just uh, can you be detail oriented? Because like, think about this, like what also has to go be taken into account now is the fact that we live in a microwave society and these 18 year olds, right? When you think about what an 18 year old kid is now, it's a lot different than an 18 year old kid 20 years ago, right? So now these 18 year old kids who have lived in this one microwave society, two, if they've gotten drafted out of high school, they've been used to being the best in their area. And so now you have to teach them, okay, but the little details, you can't skip over them anymore. So like when I introduce this mobility routine to you, you have to be dedicated to it. Like where ask Colin, he is dedicated to his routine. That's what makes him special. And like now everyone's going to have to be that way. Then there's got to be like, then you start to manage their throwing. And that's what most people are going to think about when it's pitchers. But there's a lot of it that comes before that. And when you think about managing their throwing without getting too long winded, it's like you have to just build up the workload so that every day they're getting out there. And one, they know what they have a plan that they need to execute. What are we trying to get better at? Two, this is how we go about doing that. Three, this is now it's about execution. So then it's building the throwing. And I would say, you know, sure, like if, if it was me, we wouldn't be getting into any live situations till deeper into the summer, maybe towards the end of the year. And then that's what you can use some of these, you know, instruct leagues and stuff like that for if you want to see them, you know, live. But for me, it'd be more about, okay, let's get on the bullpen mount and let's start to learn how to blow it out. And like repeatedly, like, okay, now I've lifted really heavy. I've thrown all week. I've thrown a bullpen. Now what? Yeah, Just, and that the... Colin, I'll, I, I do got a question for both of you. So, I, but I kind of want to build off of what Dan said. In in the fact of you talked about blowing it out on the mound. So, and Colin, this is what I want to know from your perspective: is what's the difference between a hundred percent max effort on the mound, where you're really getting after it, and actually facing a hitter? And what are the pros and cons of each of them? Right. Oh, I mean, it makes it when the hitter steps in there, it makes a world of difference. You can throw all mm-hmm. the bullpens you want, and it's still not going it, to, it's so hard to get that adrenaline and that game like that into your mindset. Like it, it is tough to do that. I know everybody, like every athlete, like they go, oh, I, I got the game mentality. Like it, it is still hard to get set to that mentality of here's a hundred percent. Let's do it. But when you get that batter step in there, it makes a world of difference. It's like, Hey, it's me versus you. Like, let's go, let's go to work. But I want to like tie back to like Dan was saying, like with the high school kids, like their routines and their throwing and stuff. I remember, like, in high school, like, you'd pitch on Monday. Like, I wouldn't play catch. Like, you play catch every single day in pro ball. Not one kid that I played with my whole four years has ever taken a day off. Like, it might be once every, like, month. Like, once a month. It might be one day off that you don't throw. They're going every single day. And then going back to the mobility stuff, like, I, it takes me 45 minutes to even get warmed up and loose. And it's, I'm not the only one. There's guys in there that are taking an hour and a half of their routine. Like all these mobility, they have to do all these certain steps before they can even touch a baseball. So I'm sure like just going back with the guardians and stuff, like I'm sure they are doing stuff like that to make sure that everybody's ready to even throw the ball. And then hopefully by late summer, they're ready, but I went off track there. Sorry. But. No, you're good. And it's, you made a really good point. And I'll ask Dan this because he's had so many baby giraffe 19 year olds walk into his program and walk under his tutelage. What's it like if you're in the Cleveland guardians um, organization between the balance of 
pushing mobility, pushing throwing, pushing these things, but also allowing them to have independence in how they develop. Where Where's the balance there from the coaching side and the developmental side of like, how do you give them independence, but also push them in the right direction? It's, it's all relationship based, which is so much harder to do at a pro level, because if you're a coordinator, like you, you really have to rely on the people that work under you that are the pitching coaches that are hands on with the athletes, because what it comes down to is you have to be able to establish a, a level of trust between the coach and the athlete, right? So that now we can work together because that's the biggest thing that I think you hit on is like, you have to be able to let these guys go their own way a little bit. No one knows their bodies more than than they do because they're feeling it. They're inside. You can you can coach a million guys and, and everyone's going to be a little different in some way. So you have to be able to then guide like it's more about guiding them. It's more it's a partnership. And that's what I always tried to, you know, tell my guys is like, look, I could sit here and tell you what to do and just you guys just robotically listen to what I say and, and we're not going to get anywhere. Because it's probably not right for you. Like, great. Like, I can I can be the smartest person in the world. But if we're not able to have a conversation and I can't understand where you're at and you can't understand where you're at, then it's not going to be able to – this this is never going to work. You have to be able to take charge. Now, I would imagine when you come in as an 18-year-old who's gotten drafted, you probably do have some foundation there, right? This isn't someone who's just – like, a lot of times you're not getting guys into your organization who are just incredibly gifted and are, are just there because they're – freaks right and who have no idea what they're doing this isn't forrest gump returning kicks for alabama right like this is this is these are kids who have been doing this for a long time and are really really good at what they do so there's some foundation and then you have to be able to build a relationship so that they will open up and tell you the things that they're thinking and they're feeling and how their foundation is and then you have to be able to guide them and if you are changing things which you're gonna have to because they are 18 you have to be able to have them trust you and show them why the change is necessary and that's where it gets, and it's incredibly hard, and it's incredibly time-consuming. I know that, but it's if you want the best, like this is a, this is something that's going to take a really long time. Yeah, and and you, it's such a balance because you mentioned the microwave sense society mentality, where especially organizations like they, you have to be able to swallow the fact that it's going to take patience. But once it clicks, it clicks, right? And this is such a balance because you talked about building the relationship and you talked about guys understanding what they're doing. And this is where I, you know, Colin, I want to know, you've seen 18-year-olds coming into the professional baseball, you've seen 22, 23-year-olds. A, how much maturity does it take to kind of build your own independence in your routine and things like that? And B, what is the biggest difference between an 18-year-old in terms of maturity building their own routine? We don't have to talk about maturity in the locker room or on the field or off the field type of stuff, but just in building your routine and the 22-year-old that's had a college coach guide them through every step of the way. I mean, are there 18-year-olds that just walk out or and just are that talented and, and need to literally be sp- Spoon fed every step of the way to figure out what works for them. I'd say like yes and no. I mean like just like a hitter like like Soderstrom like just talking about him. He kind of came in and was obviously very very good. But then there's just looking back at like my draft class. Like I think we had like we had a few high school kids and right away when like we showed up there like we all kind of like they didn't know anybody. We could kind of look at each other and be like these guys have experience these guys don't and then that those first couple weeks of pro ball like the teams always have you on like their set sort of program in a way like 
I'm going to say cookie cutter, but it's like they have like, this is the stuff that they do that they want us to start doing. So it's kind of funny. We're all in the weight room doing all the, we're all like doing the same exercise and stuff, but like all like deep in our head, we're like, I didn't do a lot of this stuff in college. Like this stuff wasn't a part of like my routine, but now looking back, like everybody, like when we're warming up, like during the season, everybody's doing whatever they need to do, whatever they want basically to help them like progress in a way they're not doing the set warm up the coaches they always the strength they always have a warm up on there for people that need the guidance but you know two or three years in like you should have your own routine at least dialed down of what stuff works for me but i would say there are some there are things that really like all players i feel like should like work on like like t-spine stuff's pretty basic like just basic humil or uh like mobility stuff just basic like rotational stuff but that exercise, like that T-spine may not work for like me or that may not, hip mobility may work for him, but may not work for me in a way. So that's what you have to like look at is what works for me, what doesn't work for me. But I think a lot of the high school kids, I mean, I can't, I'm trying to like think, but I can't really uh, like picture it. But I know just coming in, like a lot of them like didn't have great like routines, like warm up routines. It was always like, I'm just going to go lift. It was like, you know, you need 30 minutes of warming up, cardio, mobility, activation, stretching before you even get there. So, I mean, I'd like to, I wish I could go farther, but I, I think the A's have always like drafted some college guys in the past. So I think we only had one high school kid I could talk about, but. Yeah, they're, they're very college heavy in their draft. And I'm sure there's a, a purpose behind that in terms of just exactly what we're talking about. But kind of give us your timeline. How long did it take you to get that routine? And how important was having arguably the best pitching coach in college baseball giving you the guidance you needed? And what would your experience have been like if you were just thrown into into pro ball at 18, you know, not necessarily recovering from Tommy John, because that's obviously a whole nother unique situation, but just with where you were at and your knowledge of your body and what was going to work for you, how long did it take you to get to what you're comfortable with day in and day out today? That my, like, just trying to look back my freshman year of college, like going just from high school to college, I was, I was lost. I was like, what, what is going on? Like, I didn't know any of these routines, these mobility these activation i didn't know i didn't know any of it so i couldn't imagine going from high school i mean this was 10 year or five years ago at this point or no 2016 it was almost 10 years but uh going back that far uh, wow i know jesus christ we're old <laughs> but uh, i couldn't like just that jump from high school to college i was like wow like i couldn't imagine going from high school to pro ball like mm-hmm. those three years of college i like i don't think i would have would be where I am at today without going to college and learning about just my body, like what works for me, what routines help me the most, what throwing program is best for me. Like I've always been a long toss guy. Some guys aren't, some guys are short, you know, 90, 60, 90 feet. You know, some guys like to stretch it out 400 plus. Some people have that happy medium, but then, you know, it's just, I couldn't imagine going from, you know, not having any idea to really having, being clueless and now this is my job it's not just this isn't me just showing up to high school like oh i got a game today this is gonna be fun we're playing newark charter like oh let's go like this is fun it's like no i'm showing up like i'm making money today if i don't do well i'm gonna be i'm gonna get cut it's a job like i'm gonna be lost so it's tough 
Of course. And yeah, Dan, go. Sorry, Colin. I just, I, to, to hear you talk about just the, the leap in the maturity level for me is just like, I think that's the biggest thing. And it's tough because it's so easy to get lost in pro ball because there's, you know, 75 of you guys. like, the, yeah. And, you know, everyone was picked or signed for a specific reason. And so to be able to manage that just from a coaching standpoint, like it's tough. But my question, Colin, is how much of your – like ability to improve and tweak your routine because you're still tweaking your routine every every, every year you're still making adjustments and every offseason how much do you think though the maturity now of where you're at of being able to be like i don't know and i need i need help and i don't know what to do here or i'm you know humble enough to say like i need to fix this how much has that played into maybe your success well, I, I'm, I, I sit on Twitter. I, I text you guys. I text my buddies all the time. I'm like, what do you think of this? What do you do with that? Like, they're still learning, and I'm 24. I'm changing my – I mean, I, have a, I feel like I have a pretty set routine, but, I mean, I'm always trying new stuff. Like, hey, does that work? Does this work? But at a young age, it's like, God, like, I don't right. – like, I have no guidance. Like, where do I go? Like, what do I do? Like, I don't have any foundation. Like, going through college, I was fortunate with Matt Hobbs, who – I don't know if anybody's listening knows who he is, but he's probably the best pitching coach like yeah. I've ever had, probably anybody's ever had. But what I like having him and going through like his program, his routines, I, I still I look back at that stuff now. Like hit all of his throwing programs, all of like the plyo routines, like a lot of his stuff, I still do that in the offseason. Like I just off of like memory because it just comes comes second nature now. It's like up. Oh, here it is. Like, this is my throwing program because I went through his routine. Like going, if I went from high school where I had no routine, skipped those three years of great development with my coach and then went straight there, I'd be in trouble. So, right. Well, and I think that's so big is like, you're talking again, you're talking about like eight, I can't stress this enough. You're talking about kids, right? Like they come in and it's so hard. And like, you can, you can speak to that when you just went into college, like, and me and Trevor talked in the last episode, like your freshman fall of like fall of your freshman year, your first semester in college is one of the hardest stretches of your life, especially when you're an athlete. I was lost. I was lost. Who was it? My my first day of practice, we had this crazy warm up routine. We had this like twenty minute like put on a more circuit. I don't even know what like what stood <laughs> for, but it was like a conditioning mobility circuit. I got done it. I, I'm looking up. I'm like every day. I'm like I got to do this every day for right. the next. I mean, at that point, I was like, hopefully three years, but it could be four. I was like, I can't believe I got to do this every single day. And at some point, you're like, I, I'll admit, like sometimes I was like, wow, like this is going to be the hardest thing I've ever done. And I went through injuries that whole fall. I had a bicep tendonitis. I strained my Terry's minor. So I'm like, holy shit, like what is going on? Like this never happened in my whole life. Like I was always healthy. Like I had the TJ in high school, but before that I was like, oh, just go throw, just go play, go do whatever I wanted every day. And now it's like, if I don't settle down and like get a routine together, get, get all these plans together, I'm never going to play ever again. Like it's going to be over. So that first, that first fall, like especially the team I had with like a lot of like upperclassmen, I was terrified. And that was just from high school to college. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're in such a unique situation. And I think we can connect it to, to pro ball where how important was humility in your growth, right? 
One of the things about guys that are first, and again, we don't have to call out names, but like first rounders, Dan mentioned, they're always the best, right? The high school right-hander who can just rely on 96 and, you know, how much is being humbled at some point? I think the funniest story I've ever heard you say is like, you try to sneak a piece of cheese past Stuart Fairchild and he just (laughs) takes you deep in your freshman fall. And it's like, oh, okay. Like this is real. Like how important is the humility part and how, again, Uh, we're talking about a lot of timelines of like, how long does it take to get get to that point where the 18 year old who's always dominated everybody finally figures out like this coach doesn't hate me. He's just trying to help me. That's that story is funny because I remember I was like hurt a lot of that fall and I had the elbow and stuff. And I remember throwing some like live at bat or just some live BP and the hitters weren't even swinging, but it was like the first time I ever hit like 99 to one. I'm like, Oh my God, like, let's go. I'm going to blow this right by somebody. And I'm, here comes Stuart Fairchild first pitch whack over the fence. I'm like, Oh, all right. Um, this <laughs> welcome to college baseball <laughs> was not ready for it. But I mean, it's just like the humility part. Cause I mean, I mean, I struggled in high school a little bit. Like I had, I remember some games, my, my sophomore year where I was like, Oh gosh, like this is still pretty hard, but I was fortunate. I had a decent, freshman year but my first couple games my freshman year in college oh my gosh I remember my my first game was against Davidson I remember I think I I remember I have a weird thing I remember like a lot of the outings so when inning in two-thirds I let up two runs like unearned like a couple errors but my second outing I'm starting as a freshman at Coastal Carolina the year after they won the College World Series I'm like unbelievable like this is so cool like here i go first pitch boom over the fence i'm like oh my gosh like i just got here i just warmed up i just stepped in the mound my first pitch i threw is 400 feet left center i'm like and and then i go on to give up five more runs so i'm like oh gosh like it just keeps going my next outing it's against high point we go like four innings three runs i'm like god it doesn't stop it doesn't stop but I mean, just go, you have to go through that. Like a lot of like the high school kids, like you said, all those, like a lot of the first round kids, they, they are the best. There's a reason they're the first rounders. There's a reason they're a first round high school pick because they are some of the best players in the country in the world at that time. And a lot of them haven't uh, experienced a lot of failure and a lot of, you know, like you said, like humility. And um, I think going through college and dealing with their first rather than right out of high school really helped in a way. And I think it's just it just would have been tough to go from being the best player ever to now you're facing consistently guys, you know, mid 90s, upper 90s, that nasty stuff that are older, been there for years. And it's cutthroat to say, but like, like none of us care where you were drafted. None of us like even like think about that. We're still all in the same position. You get drafted. Boom, we're all here. Like, what's it matter? Boom, we're all in double A now. Like. Nobody talks about, oh, he was a first rounder, he was a second rounder, oh, he was the last, like, 40th rounder. No one talks about that. We're all here together. So I think I think experience in college really helped in a way because it helped me mature and, like, realize, like, I can't just go out and slam my helmet after every time I strike out or throw my glove. Like, sit down and relax. Like, think about it in a way rather than just, you know, getting angry. Yeah, and, and that that has to impact performance, right? Like that has to put guys that are 18 years old and have not experienced failure into a position that they've never been in, quite frankly. They've never had to deal with a guy just like, you make a good pitch and you could give up a homer. 
You could be at your, you could feel great. You could be at your best and you could still give up a homer and you could still give up a seven spot. And how do you deal with the daily grind of baseball, right? The psychology, the sports psychology behind the game of baseball, pitching and hitting is so complex and it's so complicated and how you deal with that, that adversity on that dirt hill in the middle of the field, when the game's dictated on you, all the eyes in the park are on you. And it's the first time you've ever been punched in the face in your life. That's going to impact these kids. And again, it goes back to what the original conversation is, is we're trying to put these guys in a position to be successful when they get on that dirt circle, right? We're delaying the time that they get before they get on that dirt circle to allow them to be at their peak, to be ready for adversity, to be strong, to be the best Mm -hmm. mentally, to handle professional baseball at its core of what it needs to be. And you made such a good point about jumping from high school to college, right? You talk about your experiences and I think Delaware high school baseball is a major part of that. Delaware is not Georgia. Delaware is not Texas. Delaware is not Florida, right? Not many guys get drafted from Delaware and then go play pro ball and are playing similar competition to what they've seen before. It's very rare. Most of the kids that make it from Delaware, like yourself, go to college, perform develop primarily they get to college they usually struggle in the fall at least the guys i know and then develop into very good baseball players that end up getting drafted and playing further in professional baseball but you talk about this step up in hitting and there's also an aspect of this where the guardians aren't just doing this with their pitchers they're also doing it with their hitters right so dan mentioned you can only get so much cage time right? You can only get so much time to do that without live at bat. So it's such a balance that the guardians have to handle, but you talk about how different each level is of hitting and pitching's on the same side of things. So, you know, talk about from your perspective, like you have you, fa- what are the 18 year olds that you've faced and the difference between they might be talented, they might put the best BP on, but what's the biggest difference between an 18 year old hitter and a 20 year old hitter? And then I kind of want to bridge this back and where Dan and I can kind of talk about the development of what this time frame of these six months after they're drafted look like to help them be the best version of themselves. It's a lot to unfold. Uh, I just like like you talk about like the uh, hmm. I feel like I can go so many ways with this. Just take it. Just run. It's twelve um, o'clock on a Sunday. We got all that. <laughs> uh, like what you're talking. Like I just wanted to go back for a second. Talk about like uh, yeah, the humility part for a second. But like uh, like everybody sees all those players at their best, but you, you've never seen them at their worst. And I feel like when you when you don't know a real player until you've seen them at their absolute worst, like, darkest hour, like, darkest corner. That's when you really get to know somebody and know what type of player they are is when they aren't having success. And what are they going to do to change that so they can get back to where they were to start? Because it's not pretty. Like, in baseball, it's failure. I mean, nowadays, if you get – I mean, if you're going to fail 75% of the time, you hit 250, you're having a great year. But uh, that's just something short to say, but – um. I think like going back like the like when uh facing like a high school kid like versus like college kid or even like a pro guy the approaches are so different just as a pitcher like with the hitter up there like a high school kid they're look they're they're looking for nothing but a fastball down the middle like they're they're not worrying about all the nasty breakers the two seamers they're not looking for 
location. They're just looking for a fast foot out of the middle. You get the college, you get some sort of routine, like or some sort of like attack plan as a pitcher where it's like, hey, I'm going to go in on this guy, try to tunnel this off of that sort of thing. And then you get the pro ball where each hitter like has a set plan, every pitch, every at bat, every set. You're like high school, only fastballs, every count. They're not looking for anything else. And maybe 0-2 off curveball like maybe it's in the dirt they're not going to swing at it because they're going to be a first round they know it's going to come in the dirt but you get the you get the like the pro guys like a lot of them talked about or a lot of the older guys talking about they have set like plans every time they're up to the plate so as a pitcher it's like you're it turns into a mind game more than like a physical game in a way like a like a actual throwing the ball it's like hey he's looking away i'm gonna go in on him he's looking in, i'm gonna go away so i think it it's a game within a game, but I think that's just the biggest thing is like high school kids aren't, they're not ready for a lot of the, like the, like the small, like you're not getting two, one fastballs anymore. You're getting two, one sliders. You're getting two, one change. You're not getting two, oh, heaters anymore. You're getting all these different things. So yeah, I think jump. Yeah. And exactly. The, the point you made is that, that really fascinates me is, is it's not a skill game anymore, right? It's a, it's kind of a, a mental game. It's a mental grind. It's about, you know, the approach that you're talking about. And, you know, it's so interesting because these guys are talented enough to just hypothetically speaking, they probably struggle more with 90 to 92 with a guy who knows how to pitch than 96 when they know what's coming, right? These Mm -hmm. high school kids with all the talent in the world. It's not, like you said, it's not a skill game. It's a mental game, right? And when you talk about hitting development specifically, the time you get in that kind of window after your draft is so important to just kind of learn the game right you see all these kids that that make huge leaps that make huge developments over the course of their career it takes time it's not again i mean i love that you said it's not a skill game it's a mental game at that point and you know it's really fascinating to think about what could be accomplished in that short window just up top in the head right of like because when you look at high school hitters right most of them that get drafted at the level they get like i think mickey moniak hit like seven tennis senior year of high school <laughs> like how do you adjust to even hitting like these guys could come and be performing and hitting 400 and they've never struggled with failure to the point of hitting 400 let alone 250 let alone 200 and punching out and swinging missing 50 percent of the time so then obviously you, you might not have worked directly with hitters but you know what do you think as a guy who's called pitches against freshmen what do you think the guardians could be doing not necessarily on the field in live at bat situations that could kind of help these guys be better prepared to face guys like Colin that have, you know, a better mindset on that hill. Well, I think one of the things you see with young hitters is, right, you have to teach a lot of these guys controlled aggression, right? Because one of the things you see, especially at the college level with freshmen that come in and get time, is like they're up there and it's like they're foaming at the mouth and you can see that. And while sometimes we want that as coaches because we want guys to be confident and, you know, more so than seeing a scared freshman, when you see freshmen who are getting playing time, you see guys who are foaming out of the, at, at the mouth and they're a little bit out of control. And that's almost easier to pick apart than a kid who's scared um, because it's just like, well, you just play into that. And I think when you get to pro ball, like you said, just the understanding of like, and it's such a tight rope to walk in the minor leagues and Colin can attest to this, I'm sure. Like, it's so hard not to be results-based because what's going to get you to the to the next level? What's going to get you to continue to, to you know, get – 
accomplish your dream of playing major league baseball is a lot like of times it, your result. That's what they right, say. right, exactly. <laughs> and so it's like, well, if I hit three thirty, I know that I'm. But <clears throat> it's got to be. It's got to be process driven. You know, just the understanding of like, yeah, you might have went zero for four today, but let me show you why zero for four was good. Or even in the sense of the Guardians, who aren't even letting these guys play in games, it's like, okay, you were frustrated today because you didn't feel like that was a good round of BP, or you felt, you know, like whatever we were trying to accomplish, we didn't. But this is why it was an improvement from what we were at, where we were at. This is what's going to turn into success. And again, seriously, like it's so simple yet so hard. Is like if you can show your guys improvement and you can show them proof of saying here look how much better this is like look, look this is tangible evidence of and which is why i'm such a fan of sometimes the data especially from the pitching side of having like a rap soda or a track man in front of their face it's like you can see it in live time and that just that little bit of confidence goes so far when you're working with guys especially young guys and when you're taking a hitter and you can say like even if you put them on a rap soda and they've been struggling with trying to figure out a new movement sequence and then you put them on a rap soda and you're like it's 95 it's 95 like yeah sure maybe it's an out or maybe you're still struggling with this movement a little bit but like look how much truer this ball flight is look how much harder you're making contact look how much longer you're in the zone and just those small things if you can just teach those guys that like it is about the little details and the little bits of success that we can have. It's not necessarily four for four. It's not three thirty. It's not your batting average. That's a byproduct of you doing these little things and you understanding those new movements. So for me, it's got to be about that. Which is again, it's a tightrope walk. It's not an easy job. No, it's not an easy job. It, it 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 really is not. And I mean, that's something that I think a lot of good college coaches also try to do. Is you know just. Everything needs to be process oriented. I always used to say that, you know, I, if we were down by one or let's say down by one, second and third, bottom of the ninth, two outs, I would be happier with a line out to center than a bloop single to win the game. I used to tell my guys that all the time because again, and I said this on the podcast I did a couple days ago where I talked about it. I'm the assistant coach, right? My job is not to win the nine innings in front of us. My job is to produce the most runs over the course of a full season, right? My job is to put each and every hitter in a position to help us score the most runs over the course of a full season. We're not necessarily playing for nine innings today. In my mind, we're playing for the long big picture of the pro- what the process is going to create. And that brings me to such a good point. And you know, I might get a little long-winded here about just the developmental side of a hitter when they step onto the field on backfield in Arizona after getting drafted and what you can accomplish. I used to talk about this all the time. We used to spend the early time in the spring. I used to say, we're getting game ready. What people don't understand is people think game reps are so important. They think game reps are so important. And for a hitter, to a certain extent, they are, right? There's little things that pitchers do that you pick up on. You know, the best hitters, they pick up things before the ball's even released. Everybody says you see spin, you see these things. You don't really see spin. You see the, the hand come out of the glove differently. You see their setup, like picking up tips and almost just mentally adjusting to these things. So, yes, those are valuable reps for your brain that are going to pay dividends in the long run. But being able to do things like train at a game speed, right? The the information that we have and the technology that we have in these minor league organizations, we can have a pitching machine that nowadays you can punch in sequences, right? You can put a hitter in there and you can go fastball away, slider off of it, change up into your hands, fastball up, fastball down. Like this is the technology we have. So why are we spending so much time sending this kid up to Vermont right after he got drafted to take 
mean not meaningless, but to a certain extent meaningless at bats when he's fatigued. He's not strong enough to compete at this level. He's not ready mentally. He's not ready. His eyes aren't ready to adjust to what the program's going to offer. And then we get into the mental side of things, right? What does that failure do for that kid long term? So, you know, you can get these hitters in a position to train at game speed. We used to do everything at Arcadia. We'd have a, a mini hack attack and a big hack attack. And we put two balls up and put one in and our guys would have to adjust, right? The first time we did it in January of this year, this past year, we had guys that played and were all conference guys swinging and missing in practice. That takes a lot of pride to swallow, Right. And again, that's back to the relationship part that Dan mentioned so far back of like these guys have to trust you. If you're putting them on the burner and you're not telling them day one, like like when I walked in, I said, the first thing you guys need to understand is you are going to fail in practice because the success rate when you're hitting dead arm BP and you're barreling balls into the gap is about 80 to 90 percent at the pro level. It might. I mean, Colin, you've seen a lot of pro BP rounds like these guys barrel everything, mm-hmm. everything. Right. But in game, we fail at a twenty at a seventy five percent. We only have success on average at a twenty five percent clip. So how are we getting better when we're just having guys hit dead arm BP before the game, and then it's like, oh, go adjust to ninety six, ninety seven with spin, right? So being able to take that time in the in the fall after they're drafted. And just allow a guy to develop, to train at a game speed, to train at a pro speed, to maybe even take time in the classroom, right? Present information. And like Dan said, see quantifiable improvements, right? Rapsodo, Blast, TrackMan, all this information that we have, present that. Like, hey, when we drafted you, you were average exit velocity of 93. Now you're up to 95 in these game speed situations, right? And then not to mention the physical side of things, right? Like I said, in, in college baseball and high school baseball, you never really get a full off season, right? Being able to get these guys in the weight room is going to pay dividends for them in the spring, right? These guys that are drafted at a high level, really anybody who's drafted can produce exit velocities at a high rate, but it's the average exit velocities. It's the maintaining barrel contact and barrel quality as much as possible that truly leads to success. So, you know, when you look at the the offensive development of these hitters in when they get to this time frame, when they get into this period after they're drafted, it's such an impactful time for them to be able to build themselves up to have success, right? Because the most important thing you know, again, I used to tell hitters this all the time. When we're failing in January, we're laying the foundation for hits in May, right? When you're failing in June of 2023, it's so that you can get a hit in October of 2026. And that's the big picture view these organizations have to have is that today is not about your knocks next spring. It's not about your knocks next October. It's about getting big league knocks as consistently as possible. And how do we get there is the most important thing. So I know I said a lot there. I mean, do you guys have any thoughts to build off? Obviously, Colin, you've seen offensive development at the professional level. I'd love to know what you think. And, and Dan, if you have any opinions on what I'd said, whichever one of you guys wants to say anything, you guys can step in. I mean, uh, just off of like, just by like through my playing, I think uh, I'm not going to say names, but we had a, uh, we had a couple guys go straight to double a after the COVID year, like 
top college players, top 10 rounders go straight to double A. And they struggled a lot. Like it was, it just looked like looking back at their numbers, it was tough for them. And uh, the next year they're back there again. And the, the jump in development that they had just from that year was incredible. So you're looking at a top 10 rounder out of college going straight to double A his first year, struggling that bad. That just shows you like how hard it is for hitters to get ready. They're, through a whole season, 130 games, still hitting like around the Mendoza line, just below the Mendoza line. They're hitting 200, struggling. Top-tier college players struggling in double A their first season. So I think it is great what the Guardians are doing, giving them some time to like – let them know, like, here's our plan, here's what we're working on, here's what we're going to do for you. But I also think what maybe they should, like, look at, like, a lot of kids, like, they go and watch a baseball game, like, they just watch it. They don't really watch the game within the game. There's no video review. They're not going back after their outings looking at these pitches here, these out, like, these sequences here. They're not doing that. They're, they're just going out there and throwing. So I think that's, that, like, just looking at that's just incredible to look at. Yeah, and again, it's just it's so much of it is just coming back to being able to preach patience and teach patience. It's like like just the story Colin just told there is like, be patient, be patient. What happens if we don't send those guys right to double A after the COVID year? And I know the COVID year messed a lot of things up, but it's like, then look at them the next year. Like you have to be able to preach patience. And these, and, and these players have to understand that, which is so hard. And again, that's what comes back to relationship building. If you have guys who trust you and can trust the process and the plan that you have in place for them, which is asking a lot because it's their career at the end of the day. It's not about you. Like then you can start to build success and you can, you know, stack development and stack guys on guys and you just continue. And you look at some of the best programs and best organizations, college and pro level. And like a lot of what you're seeing is guys who are willing to buy in and, and trust the process, but also at the same time, it's so key that they, you know, they have to care about their career as much as you care about their career. And probably a little bit more, obviously. But like yeah. just being able to preach patience and teach them to like, hey, it, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna work out. Yeah, and and I mean, obviously both of you guys made really good points and, and I think on the whole, this discussion was just phenomenal and and it's it's we've talked about so much of a wide variety of topics and and really dove into the inner details one of the things about this whole situation that i think i just thought of as we were talking was the nutritional side of things right wow. <laughs> right like like we talk about these and this is more specifically pertaining to international signings right but also high school kids i mean Oh, I'm going to draw a blank. Oh, Lawrence Butler, right? Colin, you played with him. Very good player, big very boy. athletic kid. I don't think when he was drafted, he was that big, right? It took him time to kind of fill out his body and grow into it, right? That was another kid. They, he was drafted in 2018. I think he didn't play that first year. Then he was in short season. And when, I mean, he'll admit it. Like he was, he was smaller. Yes. Like he wasn't mm-hmm. as big as he is now, but look at his numbers then. I mean, yeah. gosh, like it was, it was tough. And yeah. now look at him. He's, a, he's yeah. on the 40 man. He's, exactly. I mean, as physical as can be running like a deer. He's, I mean, he's got stupid power. I mean, yes. just look at that. Like how quick, like, like he bought into the process. He worked his tail off and now look at him. High school kid, 40 man. But, yeah. 
Like, and it's incredible. That's the progression of specifically hitters that I think hitters are going to have a moment of struggle, especially guys like, like Butler um, who are just talent oozing out of them. They're going to have that, the low lows, but like when you can kind of get your routine, you're going to kind of grow into more peaks. But, you know, you, you mentioned how he filled out and how important just the nutritional side of this time frame can be. And from my perspective, an 18-year-old who needs to add weight and add good weight should not be going to Round Rock, Texas, right? No. Centralize them to Arizona, to your spring training facility. Expose them to not only good exercise, not only good backfield work, not only good coaching, because in my opinion, this is more in-depth of a conversation. Your best co- If you're going to do this, if you're the Guardians, your best coaches need to be with those guys for the first year of their career. They need to be the ones at the spring training site every year, but also expose them to good food, to good diet habits. Let them add healthy weight, let them add good muscle, let them add all these things. Because like I said, you send this 18-year-old kid up to Vermont to play short season and he's eating McDonald's every day. He's eating Roy Rogers from a rest stop and he starts to add weight and you're like, oh, well, good. He's adding weight. He's getting stronger and he, he might be lifting more because weight, you know, kind of directly correlates to being able to produce more force, but he's not in a position to maintain that for 162, even 130 for a regular minor league season. So, you know, that's a whole nother conversation is like, for these high school kids specifically, and I think college kids, you know, everybody should be having this six month window where they're in this developmental phase. But high school kids, especially, like learning to eat, learning what your body needs, learning the nutrition it can get, learning how to just take care of yourself on that end, like that has to be beneficial for guys rather than going to some small minor league town. I mean, yeah, just chucking them like it, like you're playing every day. I mean, we played we played three weeks straight, and it was at that time it was three game series. It was play two games, getaway day on Sunday, drive six hours, stay the night, play a game the next step. Just even uh, this year, we Fourth uh, of July weekend, we had a game on a Sunday on a Sunday at, at home at two o'clock. Finish at five, probably we probably left around six something. We I rolled we rolled in the Corpus Christi at five thirty in the morning. I went to bed till twelve. I woke up and I was like, God, I got a pitch today. I mean, I was like, "Holy crap! I got a pitch!" So I just, like, like it is. It was so hard to get. That was a struggle for me to get used to that routine of playing every single day. How do I eat while I'm on a road? Like, how do I go to the gas station and I'm what am I going to eat? A candy bar and a, and a and a smoothie? Like, what? Well, I can't find proper food. We're stop. We're stopping on road trips this year. We're stopping in West Texas at a gas station. There's a Subway and a Dairy Queen. It's like, all Wait, right, not taking you guys to Bucky's. Oh, oh, we did go to Bucky's. That place is awesome. <laughs> yes, but continue your point. I'm sorry to cut you off. I but just like just, to. but there. I mean, I could not imagine going from high school where like they already don't have a great routine, like eating and nutrition. Probably, I mean, I'm sure they do. Like, I I don't want to bash everybody and say they don't, but there's probably some guys that don't. And then you just get thrown in the pro ball where you're on the road for two weeks in a row. You're like, where am I eating? I got blowing all this money on McDonald's and Wendy's and like all these fast food places. 
like and then before you know it, four weeks in, you're ten pounds heavier of crap weight, and you're, you're not weight. the player that you're not the player that they drafted. So you're like it's like, well, what do I do now? It's like, how do I fix this? I had I have to fix this in five weeks. Like it's yeah, it's it's a pain. Well, and even and and Dan, I'd love to hear your your perspective on this. Like from the college game, it's like you know there there used to be the tug of war that I used to have because I used to do a lot of our food shopping. And I used to buy candy for the dugout, right? And my whole theory was, and this is, we can talk about the psychology of this because everything in my life is just one big psychology experiment. If you didn't know, I said, you can't be mad that you're not playing if you got Starburst. That's what I used to tell, <laughs> tell Tor. And I used to be like, and he, cause, and like, we would keep our fridge stocked and with like sodas and stuff and Gatorades and all that stuff. That's really not good for you. And I know it's not good for you. I have, I have my master's degree in bro science. Like I know exactly what's, what the data says on, on that stuff. But the biggest issue is you give an 18, 19, 20 year old, the autonomy to just walk in a gas station and get whatever they want. Dan, what do you think they're walking out with? You've seen guys in college programs that Twix are kid cats. I mean, we we did a whole twenty minutes ago this summer. Me and you, Trev, talking about life on the road of a D two athlete and like how much wawa you can handle. And I mean, it, it's it's unfortunate because it's frustrating at times. I mean, we used to stand at the register with the card and like you know be paying for guys and like soft pretzels and and. And those stupid M&M sugar cookies and it would just be like watching them come up and it would just be like God, what is like, happening we have a double header today in central mm-hmm. Jersey three hours away and this is what you guys are going to put in your body and then like expect to perform at your peak like no wonder we're tired like you're going to yeah. be sluggish in game like wonder why in the third inning of game two we're already down three nothing it's like because you've eaten you know three Twix bars, a soft pretzel from Wawa and, you know, a soda or something and a Mountain Dew. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I, you're crashing. Like you have nothing in your body. And we used to try and supply the dugout with, you know, a little bit more, you know, we weren't Starburst, but I love your theory there. Um, but, you know, we would try and have, you know, protein shakes and every college dugout has Uncrustables and, you know, like protein bars and stuff like that and fruit just to try and give them like the healthy sugars but they they don't know how to do it and that's something like it's hard how many americans in general like outside of pro athletes like how many just of the common man doesn't know what proper nutritional value is i mean not to put her on blast but my like me and my brother found out like a couple weeks ago that the protein intake that my sister had which was like zero and it was like no you need protein to like survive you got to get it somewhere like i'm not saying you got to eat a ribeye but like you need some like, and it's and just like the people don't know. And so then you ask an 18, 19 year old with no money to go into a pro organization and play 162 baseball games and have their body moving all the time where you're burning six zillion calories and then not being able to properly replenish. Like that's just a huge step. Like you just um, opened a Pandora's box by bringing this up because this is like a whole yeah. nother side of it. This mm-hmm. this is as we're talking through it, I think it's I, I realized that it's a whole nother podcast, um, but you know, you're right about the American person not understanding. First off, don't slander soft pretzels. If there's one thing I have a soft spot for, it is soft pretzels. <laughs> I get my point. I, I mean, we, we, we I, led I the league these, at Wawa soft pretzels. At I, Beacom. We led the league. I eat good, except when it comes to soft pretzels. Dylan Biddle would have about day. six soft pretzels every doubleheader day. I mean, I it had to be at least him. six. I'll, I'll fact check that, but I think he did. Soft pretzels and, a, and an Italian loaf of bread. And I, I can't turn it down. That's just me. But those are my those are my guilty pleasures, I guess. 
So I'm not going to take the Wawa soft pretzel slander, but your point is 100% right in the fact of, and what I was kind of saying too, from our standpoint at Arcadia is there's a balance because what do these guys eat when they go back to their dorm? The same crap, the same crap. So why are we taking it away from them? Right? Mixed like in with I almost, 15 Bud Lights. Yeah. Like I, am, I, I, my whole theory was you just turn, turn into the skid. Right, like it, the the guys are gonna bring their own Dr Pepper in the morning on the road, so we just give them freaking Dr Pepper so that they don't have to waste their money and do it. Right, like that was my whole theory because like you, it's very hard to teach an eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old to eat, and then also to have the personal discipline to do it behind closed doors. And again, this is a whole nother episode because we can go back to the maturity question I asked Colin of at what point. Do you become mature enough to know what your body needs? Where does that education come from? Even if you have the yeah, even if you have the education, do you do it? Do you use it? Do you understand it? It's so much that could be learned in this time frame of that six month window that these organizations could be taken advantage of. I think the most important thing here, the most important thing here is college coaches. If we have anybody listening, if you want to go forty and nine, buy your guys Dr Pepper. it, I, I'm serious though. Like I'm not even kidding you. And and did, we built not we. Tor built a phenomenal culture in that program when I walked in from day one. It was built. The foundation was laid, and every guy was pulling on the same side of the rope. But I cannot deny the fact that when crap hit the fan, when guys had freaking candy, you should see how fired up 19-year-old kids that are riding bench are when they find a freaking the candy bar that they're looking for at the bottom of the freaking food bag in the fourth inning of game two of the doubleheader that were in a tight game. Like you want to talk about energy for the last leg of the game. Like these dudes would be so fired up. Like it was mind boggling. Like they, and like, I would just, I would hear the other end of the dugout be like, TP, let's go take five Reese's. <laughs> like kids were just fired up. Like, it was unbelievable. Oh man. It, it takes years. I can't like, I mean, I was a victim of it. I mean, I'm a victim of it almost probably every week sometimes. And I mean, I'm older, so I guess I can have some leeway, but as a high school kid going into a freaking a gas station, I'm coming out with musketeer bars, candy bars, Kit Kats. I'm coming out with all the junk I can think of. But then I got yeah. to college and I was like, oh my gosh, I walked into our facility and we had all these boxes uh, or like bins of like trail mixes, like nuts, mm-hmm. like all these different. I mean, I have peanut allergies, so it's tough to eat some of those things, but it was like all these different like healthier snacks and like energizing snacks. And before games, we had the Uncrustables. We had like sun butter and honey. But what they we always had smoothies before our games. I was like, oh, like the whole team's on the same plan of we're all going to feel good. We're not going to sit here and eat 40 Twix bars before our game against Louisville with the Reed Detmers on the mound. Like, oh, gosh, what's going to happen Nightmare. right now? Nightmare. <laughs> Nightmare. Nightmare. Or like my, my freshman year rolled up like we I remember like we always had like Panera bread. We always had like Jimmy John's. Like I know it's not the healthiest thing we can think of, but it's like this is better than just showing up on McDonald's. I mean Yeah. I mean just, we're about to face Brendan McKay. Here we go. Like gosh, let's yeah. let's get it going. But yeah. I couldn't imagine. Well that's that's the other thing too, is like people don't even realize like like guys grab Red Bulls. And mm-hmm. people don't realize like there's like 
50 grams of sugar in one Red Bull. And it's like, you guys think I need, I need the energy and like even energy drinks. If we're not educating them on like, then you're crashing too. You might as well be drinking a Mountain Dew like and and stuff like that. So like the amount of Red Bulls that are drinking a dugout too, are like, it's crazy. And and you make a good point about like, it's, it's all about resources too. We didn't have a smoothie bar. If we had a smoothie bar, trust me, like we would have been whipping up some pretty good smoothies or like an (laughs) omelet bar or something like but you know the the resources at smaller schools and it's kind of more similar to what minor leaguers have, right? Like like your average C plus spread and snacks when you can get them and pulling into a gas station is pretty much what what it is more. But you know the ability to use that time frame of that window where where minor league organizations can really take advantage of the development of the athlete while they're still young, while they still have time to grow, when they you know they can put their muscles in a position to grow. You know, I think it's going to be very impactful. I wouldn't be surprised to see other organizations start to move down that path of starting to, you know, use that time frame wisely, right? Whether it be education, whether it be, you know, backfield work, whether it be cage work, whether it be just dry work on the mound and just focusing on routines and things like that. Obviously, we unpacked a whole ton of what MLB organizations can use that time frame for and why it would be so important. But it's really cool to see the Guardians doing this as an organization. And it's really going to be interesting to see how other organizations either follow or stay stuck in the past and don't want, you know, think the value of game reps is more important than those extra reps. But I think all three of us would agree that, uh, the time frame you could use for that six month window, whether it be in the weight room, in the classroom, or on a backfield, cage, bullpen mound, all five of those things that could come into play in that time frame would be very beneficial. So any cl- any closing thoughts from you guys before we get out of here? No, good. I think that what the Guardians are doing are good for baseball, and yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see more teams doing this in the future. I think 100%. it's great. I think it's good to get them on a routine. It's tough to just go. I mean, I was scared. I was in Arizona for just two weeks, and I went straight to Vermont, and I was like, oh, gosh, like this is yeah. a ball. Like I'm living in this random person's house. I got to sometimes <laughs> Uber to the field because, like, I can't find a ride. Like I'm eating Moe's and meatloaf every other day. Like it's it's a big jump, but I think it's good yeah. what they're doing. Hopefully other teams will see that. But the, with the draft being a little later and with some of the leagues not being as they were, before but we'll see what happens hopefully it's good for him it's awesome phenomenal conversation i'm super excited to go edit this and listen back to to kind of see what we talked about because from listening to it it's like when we had you on the first time colin like i was almost just a fan just listening to you guys talk so i know our listeners are going to appreciate that but you know keep an eye out right making sure we're following on all the social channels dan's dominating twitter we're getting tiktok videos out we're getting youtube shorts out we're live on youtube we're working on getting the instagram up and running we're kind of one step at a time there but we're trying to produce as much content the mailbags out if you got any questions for us dm us on any of our social channels we'll get it on the show um we're going to be working on getting those out as much as possible and then also maybe a couple episodes this week we're working on getting some guests on here we're working on getting colin through a mailbag episode colin and i might hop on here and talk about a little bit of sports psychology so a lot of content coming up over the next couple weeks make sure you're 
you're following everywhere you get your podcast. And most importantly, share with five friends because you help us grow the podcast. The more content we can bring to you guys, the more TikTok videos, the more YouTube shorts, and the more fun we get to have having this podcast and hopefully bringing you guys a, just a wealth of content in the summertime when, when we're full go in MLB and minor league season. So until next time, we'll see you guys on the next podcast.